Open up your Bibles to John chapter 1. We did finish last week officially our time with the Apostle Paul, though given that his writings make up a lot of the New Testament, I'm sure we'll be back with him. But this morning, we're going to begin a new series, uh, a very short one before we go into a uh, series on the book of Ecclesiastes. But we're going to do a short series, just three sermons from the Gospel of John called Each One Reach One. I mentioned the prayer challenge card. I mentioned it in announcements. I mentioned it in the prayer, and I'll mention it again now that we desire for you to uh, have friends, family, acquaintances that you can get to know, invite to your house, maybe go up and get a cup of coffee with, that you share the gospel with, and then invite them out to church, and that you would have one to three acquaintances of that way, family members that you could bring out. Um, We know if the Lord were to move in that way, what a wonderful thing it would be. Um, And that's going to be the focus of this short little series as a way of reminder that it's not just an idea that I have, but it's something that the Scripture requires of us, as it were, and expects from us as believers. And we'll begin this morning in John chapter 1. I'll read to you verses 35 to 42. Here is the word of the Lord. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Father, we ask that. The passion that we see here in this passage of bringing people to Christ would become our passion. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you would agree, I I assume most of you would, that one of the greatest needs of the hour, and I mean in the America society today, and you could probably think of a lot of different things that you would see as needs in our society, well, one of the greatest is for Christians to rise up and take up their calling of being an ambassador for Christ, and you bear witness to Jesus Christ. James Boyce had this to say about this. The expansion of the gospel in our time, as it is in all ages in the Christian church, depends in no small measure upon whether or not we will witness to Jesus Christ. We are all witnesses to something. Our lives all bear testimony to something that we believe, something that's important to us, something that we value and cherish, something that we find of first importance. And so the question is, will we be good witnesses to Christ, to Jesus Christ? Now, I've shared my testimony, and I went into more detail with the new members class about my testimony, but that I was led to the Lord by Christy, who's uh, my wife. And on our very first conversation, obviously before we were married, um, when I met her and we lived in the town together, she shared the gospel with me about Jesus Christ. 
She shared the things she knew about Jesus. She wasn't a, a deep theologian. In fact, it was only a year or two earlier she left a liberal church. Their family did to go to a conservative church um, where the liberal church denied the resurrection. But she knew the basic truths, and she shared those things with me, what she knew about him. And, and, and the things she said, and just as importantly, the way she lived her life, how she conducted herself, intrigued me enough for me to go to church to get to know her better and to hear more about Jesus. She gave up everything to follow Jesus. She was different than the other girls that I knew uh, in that day. And so what was different about her? Well, it was her relationship with Christ. And so she shared him with me, and then eventually I became a Christian, and now my whole life was turned upside down. And now I wanted to share Jesus. I only knew a few things about Jesus, uh, that he died on the cross for sins, I knew that. I knew that I was a sinner. I was pretty familiar with that. And I knew I needed to be forgiven of those sins. And I knew that Christ died for my sins and that he rose again from the grave, that God accepted his sacrifice. And that's how we have eternal life, that I could be forgiven in Jesus. That was the basis of what I understood. I didn't understand a lot. I didn't understand that Jesus was God and man fully. I, I didn't know about election or predestination. I couldn't have, have debated you on justification by faith alone. I couldn't even defend the authority of Scripture. The very Scripture that I was trusting was telling me the truth about Jesus. I couldn't have defended it at the time, much less be able to defend, say, the doctrine of the Trinity. I didn't know anything about Presbyterianism. I didn't know anything about covenant theology. I didn't know anything about Calvinism. All I knew that I was a sinner that needed a Savior, and that Jesus was that Savior. That's what Christy taught me, and that's what I shared. And so I shared it with my friend Jeff. I may have mentioned him before. I shared with him the good news. He saw the change it made in my life. I mean, he had to see it. We used to hang out a lot before being saved. He couldn't ignore it. And so just as God used Christy to bring me to the Lord, he, he, he now used me to bring uh, Jeff to him. He could have done it any way he wanted. I want you to think about that. He could have literally sent an angel from heaven, could he not? He could do that. He's God. He, he, he could have spoken himself from heaven. He could have dropped a Bible in my lap and opened it up to John three sixteen and said, believe this. He didn't do any of that. What he did is he chose to take two ordinary people that got saved and tell others about Jesus. And see, that is the role that we're to play. We get an opportunity. We're called by God to have an opportunity to play a role in the greatest miracle of all, literally a miracle. People who are dead in sin becoming alive. And the Lord uses us. And so I share those two stories. They're just really two examples of what we're to learn from our passage this morning and in this, in this short series that we're called to bring those we come in contact with to Christ. You can't make them believe. You, you cannot uh, convince them just by giving your testimony. Not everyone will be converted. Christ must do the work, but he desires to use you to do his work. And see, that's what we find in this passage this morning. Look at verse 35 to 42. 
That's where we're going to focus. But it, that passage is part of a larger section that actually begins in John verse uh, 19 to verse 51. And the way John structures this passage, what he's doing, and I'll explain it in a second. It, it, I don't want to go into much detail about it. But what he does is it puts the focus on the middle uh, at the end of verse 42, in the middle of the passage. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So the way John structures this section is emphasizing that. Let me try to explain to you what, it, what I mean. It, it, it's called a chiastic structure. You don't need to remember it. Um, I just like saying it. I know the word. Uh, it, yeah, look, it starts in the beginning of the passage, for example, um, in verses 35 to 36, we read, Behold the Lamb of God. And then at the end, in verse 47, Jesus invites the, the b- disciples to behold a true Israelite. You see the connection there. And then it starts working its way in. Verses 37 to 39, Jesus invites the disciples to come and see. In verses 44 to 46, Philip finds Nathaniel, invites him to come and see. Do you see the connection on the ends of the passage? And then it all comes together and meets in the middle. Jesus meets Simon and renames him Peter. All that to say that the structure is saying to you that Peter's conversion is the central issue in this passage. From the very beginning of his gospel, the Apostle John has been establishing the importance of Peter in the scheme of things. And this all-important conversion of Peter, this all-important conversion of this great apostle, all begins and is instigated by the witness of his brother Andrew. Now, we're not going to look at the passage in detail. That's not the purpose of today's sermon. If, If you want a good study on this passage... Um, often when I share with you a good study, that means I got a lot of my material from, right? If you want to go into more detail, see Rick Phillips' book, uh, Jesus the Evangelist. It's an excellent book, and he goes into detail. Well, all I want to do this morning is look at what we learn about Jesus. So it's, this is going to be kind of a Bible study of, short, of sorts. What we learn about Jesus, what we learn about being disciples, and what we learn about witnessing. And we begin with Jesus. First, look at verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, just the day before, John said the same thing, but he added part to to it. He said in verse 29, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Now, the Jews who heard that, those that were there and Jews that had heard that, they would have immediately recognized, as we should now know having the Bible, what he was getting at, the Lamb of God. See, the Jews would have remembered the story with Isaac in Genesis 22 when he says, where is the Lamb, Father? And they would have remembered that the answer Abraham gave, that God will provide for himself a Lamb. And then they would remember the Passover lamb of Exodus 12 who was sacrificed. Remember his blood was put over the doorpost. And they would have remembered Isaiah 53 where the lamb was led to the slaughter for the sins of God's people. They would remember the whole sacrificial system where lambs were sacrificed. Uh, they were actually practicing this, most of, it, most of them at the time. And now they're being told 
after all that history that would just kind of flashed back, they're being told that this all pointed to the man standing before John in their presence. It, it, it points to him, he's the lamb. He's the lamb. And so we learn first that Jesus is the lamb of God. He is the one who went to the cross to be slaughtered for the sins of his people. Second, we learn in verse 38, he's a teacher. Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? The word rabbi is a title of respect. It's given by students um, and seekers after knowledge, and they, they go before somebody they want to follow in their life, and they call them rabbi, and they're teachers, and they're wise men. And so Jesus is the wise teacher who, who came to reveal to us uh, who the Father, Heavenly Father, was. And so that's another thing we learn about Jesus. He's a teacher. Third, he's the anointed one. Look at verse 41. Andrew first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Messiah in Hebrew, Christ in Greek, they're the same word, and they both mean anointed. An anointed king in the ancient world, anointed kings, they were, I mean, they were anointed with oil at their coronation. And so the image here is that Jesus is God's anointed king. He came to set the captives free from their sin, their slavery and bondage to sin, and he came to establish his kingdom as the king. And so he's the anointed one. He's the king. And fourth, Jesus is sovereign over all and in control of the hearts and desires of men. In verses 35 to 39, notice there how John and Andrew became followers. Now, the normal practice would, in those days was for would-be disciples, like I was saying, to, to find a rabbi, to choose a rabbi for themselves, and then ask if they may, may attach themselves to that rabbi. In this case, what we find is the rabbi takes the initiative. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to them, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Now, Jesus quizzes them, right? He, he asks them, what, what, do you, what do you want? And then he invites them to follow him and spend the day with him. And so Jesus is, is the Savior, is the king who actively seeks followers and, and does not wait for them to passively ask or appear. And, and so this also is seen in his encounter with Peter, now, Peter is someone that, if you know his story, he was used to being in control. Other passages teach that. Here, he is confronted with someone who controls him. So much so that Jesus had the audacity to tell Simon his name was changing. He, he, Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, imagine you, you got your prayer cards, right? And you, invite, you finally get around to inviting someone out to church. You brought your friend Randy in, and he comes to the door, and you say, look, Pastor, I brought a friend. His name's Randy. And I looked at him, and I said, Randy, you are now Steve. <laughs> you, you would say, oh, well, he's not coming back. <laughs> right? I mean, it would be weird. It'd be weird. It, it, it's not, though, when Jesus does it. it. It's not when he does it. See, when Jesus does it, he's the king. When Jesus does it, he's the sovereign. He has the right to give you a name as he sees fit. And that's what we find here. And, and notice something else. Jesus is not sovereignly going over his name, 
but over the whole future. See, the name represents the future here. He says, you are and you shall be. You are, you were, uh, uh, and now you shall be. In the context, it's, it's looking to the future. Just like in the book of Revelation, what does Jesus do? He gives us a new name to, our, to his people at the end of time. And so here the words point beyond Peter's initial conversion, although it includes that, to the ultimate change that's going to take place when Jesus returns to complete his work. You are, but you will be. You shall be. And so because Christ is sovereign over the future, he can guarantee the change. And so just think, just in these little verses, we learn that he's the Lamb of God. He's a teacher. He's the Messiah, anointed king. And if we were to go on to verse 51, um, all the way to verse 51 and verse 45, he's the one who Moses and the prophets have written about. In verse 49, he's the son of God and the king of Israel. And in verse 51, he's finally the son of man. And so by way of summary, you could say that Jesus is the wise teacher, messianic king, and sovereign Lord who came to lead men and women to God and die a sacrificial death as the Lamb of God so that he can give eternal life. That's a simple understanding, not complete comprehension, but an understanding and truth about Jesus. And see, that leads us right into our second point, what we learn about a disciple. See, a disciple is someone who forsakes everything for that Jesus. They they, they give up everything for that Jesus. After hearing John say, Jesus is the Lamb of God, what did they do? They followed Jesus. Verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following. He said, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, we are staying. He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where you were staying, and they stayed with him that day. These were disciples of John, and John the Baptist. And John says, look, the Lamb of God. And they completely give up their allegiance to John the Baptist, and they immediately begin following Jesus. Now, John the Baptist represented the last of the Old Testament prophets, as many scholars like to say. Um, and so he, he, he represented, but pointed forward, but represented old Judaism. And, he would, he, and, and, and even if it's a part of a, a renewal movement within Judaism, as John's ministry was, they leave John, they leave behind this Judaism in order to follow Jesus. And that's the point that's being made. And it's just as true today. The point is this, Jesus has no rivals. It cannot be Jesus plus Judaism. Even if if part of Judaism is all part of that, it cannot be Jesus plus circumcision like you learn in Galatians. It cannot be in Jesus plus whatever nice thing or good thing you want to do. Jesus plus serving. Disciples are those who are willing to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow after him. That's what Luke 9 says. They're willing to leave house or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for his namesake, says Matthew 19. They never put their hand to the plow and then look back, Luke 9, 62. When I say that I want you to bring people to church or to Jesus, that's what we're looking for here. We're not looking for people that will just come out and raise their hand in an altar call or, or, or they're willing to attend Christmas and Easter every year. 
But we're, we're looking for people with whose whole life is changed. It's turned upside down. A disciple of Jesus, a follower of Christ, is someone who's been so captivated by Jesus that they're willing to give up everything to follow him. A complete change. That doesn't mean we still don't have sin and, and still don't have desires that, that cling us to this world, but that we're willing to give up everything for him. These disciples here, they didn't settle for just meeting Jesus on the road, having some conversation. I heard you're the Lamb of God and and getting to know him a little bit. Well, it sounds like that's somebody I want to get to know. Let's let's, let's talk to him. No, they, they wanted to know where he was staying. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to linger with him. They wanted to talk to him. They wanted to go to him with their problems. They wanted to go with him with their troubles, with their longings. That's what a rabbi would do. They wanted to meet Jesus not an acquaintance, meet him. They wanted to stay as a friend in his home. That's what they wanted now. That's a disciple. That's who we're to be. Someone whose heart has been changed at the core of their being. It's not an outward change. If your love for Jesus is only outward, you will not be able to sustain it. You could never sustain such loyalty. Try as you might. Your whole heart has to be changed. The whole heart has to be changed. And that's what Jesus does. He's sovereign, not only over your name, but over your heart. And so from the inside out, he gives us new desires. He changes us. Just as he gave Peter a new name, he gives us a new heart. And you are a sinner, he says, well, now you're a saint. You are evil, well, now you're holy. You're dead in your sin. Well, now I make you alive. And so Christ does that. He does the work in your heart. And see, once you believe, once he does that work, you're going to want to follow him. You're going to give your life to him. And so that's the first thing we learn about disciples, but that's not all. A disciple only follows hard after Jesus, giving up his past loyalties. That's true. But he also makes it a priority to bring others to Christ. See, a disciple is not somebody who just wants to be with Jesus in their Bible, in their prayer closet. Now, I wish we had more of that. Don't get me wrong. But a disciple is not somebody who just goes from Bible study to Bible study to Bible study to church to Bible study to prayer to Bible study and then never talk to anybody else about Jesus other than maybe other Christians. No, no, no. A disciple is someone whose heart has been changed so much, they're unable to contain the good news, and they want to share it with others. I remember when I first got saved, I I, I, I will confess, I was more excited about it then than I am sometimes now. But I remember getting saved, going back to the bars and still preaching. You know, and, and, and people were like, gosh, he's so weird. And it was weird. And Christy can attest to that. But, but we, we need to realize that someone who, who just got saved out of that lifestyle wanted to share it with others. Look at verses 40 to 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Now, what do we know about Andrew? It's a cool name. Uh, But besides that, what do we know about Andrew? What what is it that we know? The answer's not much. He's always in the shadow of Peter. Whenever Andrew's talked about in the gospel, it's always spoken in connection to Peter. Mark chapter 1, Andrew, the brother of Simon. 
Simon, who was called Peter and, bro- and Andrew his brother, Matthew 10. And in our passage, it's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. It's never Simon, the brother of Andrew, right? And so he lived in the shadow of his brother. And there's a lesson there. It's a, there's a lesson there. Andrew was someone who was prepared to take second place. John MacArthur says it this way, Andrew did not seek to be the center of attention. He did not seem to resent those who labored in the limelight. He was evidently pleased to do what he could with the gifts and calling God had bestowed on him, and he allowed the others to do likewise. And so, what is it? A, a consistent disciple of Christ will never push themselves they only, um, into the limelight. They are only going to push forward Jesus Christ. They're willing to work behind the scenes if it means getting the gospel out. They're willing to serve God quietly if it means getting the gospel out. And they'll let Christ receive all the glory and praise. So that's something we know about Andrew. Second thing we know about Andrew, and what is most important, obviously, to our sermon, is his zeal for bringing people to Jesus. All three times that John uh, singles Andrew out in his gospel, it's for this reason. Verse John 1, the first thing he does after seeing, sitting at the feet of Christ is bring Peter to Jesus. In John 6, when Jesus wants to feed the 5,000, it was Andrew who brought the boy with his loaves and two fish to Jesus. And shortly before Jesus' death, it was Andrew and Philip together who brought a group of Greeks who wanted to meet the Lord, says John 12, 22. See, Peter might be called the rock. John and James were the sons of thunder. But as Rick Phillips says, Andrew's notoriety is the most excellent of all. He was the one who brought people to the Savior. That's his role. That's what we know about him. Every time he's mentioned, he's in the shadow of his brother. And every time he's mentioned, he's bringing somebody to Jesus for some reason. Someone who is a disciple is someone who is zealous to see others come under the saving influence of Christ. He makes it a priority to bring others to Jesus. Now, in my studies of this passage, I came across a story of what it means to be an Andrew uh, for Christ. It's the story of a man named Edward Kimball. I would guess that most of you have no idea who he is. Um, He wasn't that famous. He was a Sunday school teacher at a church in uh, Boston in 1856. And he had a small class of teenage boys that he would teach. It, It was called Mount Vernon Congregational Church. Uh, he wasn't that good of a teacher, they said, uh, but he determined to visit the boys, and he was determined to visit this one boy where he worked at a shoe store. This, so he would go there, and he got up the, the, the strength. He was nervous. Um, like I said, he wasn't that articulate, and he spoke to the boy in the back room at the shoe shop and, and, and talked to him about Jesus and led him to faith in Christ, and, and that boy's name was D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody, if you don't know that name, well, you probably know that one better, is the most noted evangelist of his day. He did revival campaigns throughout the United States and England. Thousands, thousands of people came to Christ um, through his ministry. Yet you would have never heard, humanly speaking, you would have never heard of D.L. Moody if it wasn't for the faithful witness of this Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball. His one that one man's obedience, I'm going to share the gospel with these children who had no idea. He didn't know, wasn't told ahead of time, by the way, that guy's going to be the great evangelist. 
He shared the gospel with them, and he was used by God in a mighty way. And see, that leads us to our last point, what we learn about witnessing. We learned what we did about Jesus. We learned about a disciple. Well, let me share some of the things we learned from Andrew here about witnessing. First, you must know unbelievers. He knew his brother. That's obvious. I don't need to go into much detail about that, right? It's got to be an unbeliever if you're going to lead them to the Lord. You must point people to Jesus. Your testimony can be used like, like it was with me, like, uh, but, but it, it, it's not where you put your focus. Your focus must be on them meeting Jesus, not you. You must know at least the very basics of the gospel. Uh, what did, John, what did um, Andrew know here? Jesus is the Lamb of God. He knew that he was the Messiah, the Savior, an important part of it. You need to know that you're a sinner, That's part of the gospel, that we're sinners and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.8, why were we yet sinners? Christ died for the ungodly. That's called the Romans road. The new members are going to go over this tonight um, with a basic understanding of the gospel. We're sinners. The wages of our sin is death. Christ paid the penalty so we can be forgiven. That's the basics of the gospel. We need to know more, but that's the basics. And you must know that God wants to use you too. See, I think that's where we fall short. I'm sure most of you come in contact regularly with someone that's an unbeliever, maybe just at the coffee shop, you know, the, 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 uh, the people that work behind the counter or something, you know that. You know the basics of the gospel. I, I can remember my one daughter, Becca, wanted to share the gospel um, when she was like five or six. We were at a concert. And we were outside, and we were all sitting up on this car watching the concert. And this girl was there, and Becca wanted to share the gospel. And she said, do you, do you, know, do you know Jesus or God? And the girl went, what? And she goes, do you, and the concert was that, do you know Jesus or God? And the girl went, what? She goes, oh, never mind. She got frustrated with sharing the gospel. All she knew, though, was that she wanted to share about Jesus. Um, and, and, and that um, God could use her in that way. That was my encouragement. He didn't, she didn't get far that night, <laughs> but God could use her. We have a hard time believing God wants to use us. Well, if God wants to, we, especially us that believe in every foreign and believe in election, if God wants to save them, he'll do it. You're right. He will. He's God. But he's ordained to use us. Think of the story in Acts chapter 8. There's this ministry going on by Philip. He's thriving in this ministry. And all of a sudden, he gets a call to leave that ministry to go witness to one man. An angel of the Lord appears to him, we're told, and he says, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he rose and went. He obeyed. Very wise. And there was this Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, It was a court official um, who was in charge of the treasury, and this man's there, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. So he's reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And so the spirit says to Philip, go over there and join the chariot. So here's this official. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip comes and joins him and says, do you understand what you're reading? And, and, the, and the unit goes, I, no, unless someone guides me, how am I going to understand? And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
And now the passage of the Scripture he was reading was, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens on his mouth. That's what the uh, Ethiopian was reading. And Philip goes on to explain to him the gospel, as it were, from all the prophets about himself and about Jesus, um, about the good news about Jesus, that is. Now, that's the basis of the story. You can read about it again in, in Acts 8. Do you... Do you think God was like, I don't know what to do. I really want this eunuch to understand. I'm stuck here. I, I don't know how to handle this. Philip, you seem like you're willing. No, God didn't have to do that. The word itself through the spirit could have convicted a man. But no, God was establishing what usually is the case 99.9% of the time, that God uses means to the end of saving people, and that means is you and me. And so we must actually witness and know that God wants us to witness if, if we're going to share the gospel and see this revival. He used Philip, and he wants to use you. And that's the last thing I'll, I'll share. You must actually witness. They may not want to hear it. They, they may not like being told they are sinners. But unless they hear the bad news that they're sinners, they're not going to appreciate the good news that they can be saved from their sin. And so you must share the gospel with them, or at the very least, bring them to church to hear the gospel. They will hear the gospel if they come to this church. I promise you that. You're going to hear it in a moment. You've already heard it, but you're going to hear it again. In either case, they must hear the good news or they won't be saved. They can't follow someone they don't know. And so here's the call. Here's the challenge. I'm asking you to think of three acquaintances, family, co-workers, whoever it may be, that is unsaved and begin praying about an opportunity to speak to them about the gospel, about Jesus, about your life. Get to know them. You don't have to walk up and say, hi, I'm Drew. You're going to burn in hell if you don't repent. (laughs) I tried that tactic. I did it for you. I went out there, and it failed. Get to know someone. Eventually, that should come up. But you got to get to know someone, get to relate to them. And once you get to know them, share the gospel with them. Invite them out to church. Uh, is, is that not, it seems simple. It's not, I know, but it's something we need to do. Well, let me, let me close this way. I want to ask you a question that Jesus asks in verse 38, if you look there. He says, what are you seeking? And so I asked that question. Uh, maybe you're not a disciple of Christ. Well, let me ask you, what are you seeking? If you're, everybody's seeking something. What's the most valuable thing to you that you're unwilling uh, to give up? And, and you cherish so much that you would not give up to follow Christ. I want you to ask yourself, is anything more valuable than your soul? Is anything in this world so valuable that you're willing to spend eternity in hell? Ah, but you say, I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that. Well, that doesn't matter what you believe. The truth is, if you don't repent, the Scriptures tell us that you will burn in hell. Why? What is there? Tell me what it is. I want to know what this is. Uh, uh, tell me what it is that you would be willing to say to me this day, Pastor, I would follow Christ but I cannot give up this possession. I I would follow Christ, but I want this lifestyle. It's just not worth giving up. Uh, What is more value to you than Christ? 
And maybe you think, well, I, I, it's my reputation. I would get picked on. I would not. I, I, I would get teased. I wouldn't get a raise. I would have to leave my friends. Uh, and so the question is, is Jesus more worthy than your friends, family, or finances? See, that's the, that's the thing about Christianity and Jesus. He puts a line in the sand. And there's him and there's everything else. And he says, will you follow? And so don't delay. I'm telling you from my experience, it's all I can do. And what the scripture promises, I can guarantee that there's nothing that you will give up that you will look back and say, I wish I would have kept that rather than Jesus. I can promise you that. But what about believers? What are you seeking? What are you seeking that so consumes your time and your energy and your effort that you just haven't found time to tell anyone about Jesus? That you're here and you say, I, I love Christ. I, I, I do. I, I love him. I cherish him. I, I remember when I got saved and I remember what he did in my life. And, and it's amazing. But I just don't have time to tell someone else about that. What is it that you seek? See, my prayer and why I'm doing this very short series is that we all, including myself, would be like Andrew the disciple. And we would desire to bring our friends and our family to Christ, all for the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, that's, we know, should be our heart's desire. And yet we know that things of this world entangle us. And so forgive us, forgive me. And I pray, Lord, that we would uh, see uh, people's lives changed as we love them and get to know them and tell them about Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.